This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. Now, people look at the residential real estate asset class either as something that you live in and the value ultimately comes down to price appreciation. And then there's another way of looking at it, which is cash flows. And there you can apply a cap rate to a property. The traditional investor understands cash flows from long-term rentals and appreciates the long-term leases that you can have in place. How are you seeing as the market evolves, investors value short-term rentals? Just because you generate 60% more rent through Airbnb, are you rewarded for that when you sell the property to an investor? Or ultimately, there isn't as much liquidity on that side? Yeah, I mean, speaking from direct experience, uh, we are actually in the process, we partner with an investor uh, group. It's actually a group out of San Francisco. You're probably familiar with them, Zane, but I can't share them yet because the deal is not official. But they, uh, we found a, a 43-unit asset uh, portfolio for them. Uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, that's across seven buildings that have been operated as short-term rentals for the last uh, seven or so years. Um, and this group is now acquiring this asset uh, based on our connection uh, to this to this asset owner uh, that's selling uh, at a pretty uh, pretty healthy um, bump because of its uh, of the financials and, and history of financial performance from as, as short-term rentals. Um, they are generating, they're able to sell this for a larger sum than um, they would have if these were traditional long-term rentals because of the additional uh, revenue that they generated. And you know, the, the real magic happens when you buy a fundamentally sound property in a good location where you feel like it will appreciate, but then you can also generate yield from it and cash flow. And in that way, you sort of, you might be able to set a floor price in terms of what is the lowest amount you'll get for the property because you've got the cash flow coming in. And then, you know, I own personally, I own quite a little, I own quite a bit of a short-term rentals myself and I have long-term rentals as well. And um, I've, I've been quite surprised, you know, I came up with a model for short-term furnished rentals in San Francisco. And these were properties that people would usually buy as condos to live in for the long-term. And if anything, these were, you know, appreciation assets. And even through COVID, uh, the rents have been good, but we, we just, just for experiment, we decided to list some of these properties. And um, when people give you a low ball offer, it's very easy to turn around and say, look, we're making a lot of yield by renting this on a short-term basis. And suddenly that connects for people. Suddenly they'll give you a much better offer and they'll realize, okay, this is actually really safe. So what I'm trying to say is it feels like if you find a really nice property that you could live in, that you can imagine someone would like to buy, but you can rent it out. You create a lot of safety around that property. Um, gives you cash flow and you have a minimum price. You know what the property uh, you know, should trade for ultimately. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. The, the sellers for that uh, portfolio that I mentioned earlier are, are astonished by the deal, by, by, what they're, uh, by how their investment has, has panned out. Um, they're, they're selling their entire portfolio. They're retiring. They're, they got a golden visa. They're moving out to Portugal. They're done. Uh, they're extremely happy because of, you know, no, don't get me wrong. This was great real estate, but the short-term rental revenue that they generated over the past seven years just elevated the price to such an extent that, you know, they, they, they're ecstatic about the deal. And Amir, I'm curious whether you agree with this statement or not. The statement I'll make is that 
In order for a property to be traded as a short-term investment asset, like a short-term rental, you need history. You need a track record of consistent performance. Otherwise, I think it's very difficult for investors uh, and even brokers to appreciate and understand how, how to value the asset. Because if you've had very lumpy revenue, there's been some seasonality or you've had high vacancy rates and you know rents all over the place. Um, it's a lot more difficult. Do, do you agree with that? Or are you seeing some speculation come in uh, and people buying things without a proven track record? People are buying things without a proven track record. And the reason that is, is honestly partially because of what we talked about just a second ago. The, the properties with, with a, a strong track, track record are commanding premiums um, and the, the cap rates aren't uh, as attractive. Uh, for those assets that are being acquired. Now, in this instance, this cap rate makes sense because this acquirer is planning to build a large portfolio on top of this one. So this is like their first set of units and then they plan to spend close to $100 million building a short-term rental portfolio. Um, so most of their additional acquisitions are going to be on properties that don't have any historical data. Uh, they're going to rely on some of the tools that we've built out to help kind of understand the revenue potential of the property, know how the market is performing, and based on that, make pretty calculated decisions on what assets to buy. Now, transparently speaking, a lot of them are also smart enough to acquire assets they know would perform well uh, as long-term rentals if things were not to work out um, at, you know, okay rates, at okay, okay returns, but uh, most of them are very comfortable with um, the the revenue projections that, that we are able to come up and that we've so far have been able to to perform towards historically. What are the criteria for a good short-term rental? I know, uh, and just to set context for some of our listeners, at Rabu, you often send out these weekly emails with real estate opportunities throughout the country, and you create a financial model where you estimate the yield it will generate if you managed it, which is a great lead generation tool for you. Uh, but how, how would you help us understand the criteria? What makes a good, uh, what, what makes a short-term rental a good short-term rental opportunity? Yeah, I mean, like most things in, in real estate, it's location, uh, location-based. Um, so, uh, you know, first of all, you have to make sure that um, there's no regulations against that type of asset type uh, in the city. So you always have to start there. That's that's the number one piece. Location is, uh, is always number two. It, it really varies uh, but market by market, uh, but the, the, the more attractive the asset, the better it will perform as a short-term rental. The more updates it has, the, the better furnished that it, that it is, the more of an experience and emotion that it evokes out of an individual, um, you know, the better uh, the better it will perform. One of the kind of rules that we have, for example, in, in a market like Charlotte, which is big into breweries, like we say, if you're within walking distance of a brewery, even if it's a kind of transitioning area that's a good airbnb because people want to be around kind of transitioning growing areas so um it's very low location specific um you know the type and the size really also varies by location we've seen some locations you know in more um kind of uh urban like center city locations uh, one and two bedrooms to perform better usually the kind of further out you get from center city the, the more bedrooms you want this asset to have um, because you appeal more to families uh, and, and groups traveling together. There's no kind of like, magic bullet say if you meet X, Y, and Z criteria, it, it, it's, it's, it's a great short-term rental. A lot of it is around how you set it up and how you manage it. But, you know, location, be close to uh, points of interest, um, you know, make sure it's, it's legal um, and 
um, do your research on the data. Uh, you know, if, if the long-term markets are performing well there, uh, it might not be the best fit. You know, like uh, like Miami, for example. I'm currently in Miami. Um, our house that we're moving out of, the the uh, owner is getting ready to list it for rent for uh, close to $10,000 after we vacated. We're nowhere paying near that, but it's just a market that long-term rentals demand in Miami right now because of the influx of people coming down here. So this is probably a better long-term rental than a, than a short-term rental. So it really depends, but that's why we try to make the data available to to investors and to operators so they can make that decision based on data that's available to them, that's in the marketplaces. I'll share with you, you can also look at the types of uh, short-term renters that come and go. So in heavily urban, densely populated areas where there's large office buildings and pre-pandemic mostly, you would have a lot of activity during conferences and events. You'd have corporations as well who would be happy to sign up even for a long-term lease and short-term rates because uh, they want the furnishing and everything else ready to go in the service. Then you also have other types of um, employers. You have the military, you have visiting nurses, which are close to hospitals, and you also have students. What do you think about the different types of uh, tenants there and, and the employer bases? Is that something that you factor in when you're looking at the short-term rentals that you manage? We absolutely factor that in. We also factor in uh, kind of um, migration to a certain to a city and the growth rate of a city. Uh, you know, it, it's really interesting right now across a portfolio. Average length of stay is actually 44 days. Pre-COVID, it was about two and a half. Uh, and what we're seeing is a lot of people kind of living more of the nomadic lifestyle. They might be living in New York during the summer because New York is great in the summer. During the fall months, they'll go down to Nashville. During the winter months, they come down to Miami. It's just a new lifestyle that COVID and the remote culture accelerated. So <clears throat> we're definitely following those trends when we help identify markets where we believe investors should invest in, where we're seeing uh, a migration of people um, come and wanting to spend time. Uh, that's created some really interesting opportunities. So it's less business, traditional kind of corporate business travel. It's more, the more business travel now is, hey, I can work from anywhere. So I'm going to go spend a month in Nashville and then in a month in Austin and just check it out um, while working from that from that home. Uh, Amir, a lot of people end up running their own property management firm, sometimes accidentally, by making an investment, taking calls, and then making another investment, and before they know it, they've got a portfolio of, uh, of rentals. And this could be long-term or short-term. What At what point does it make sense for someone to hire a professional third-party fee manager versus doing it themselves. Is there a point you've noticed where someone needs to go and hire infrastructure or it becomes too occupying and you need to just outsource it? Is there a certain number or rule you have? Yeah, I mean, for us, um, you know, if somebody wants to self-manage on the short-term rental side, so transparently I can't speak as much on the long-term rental side because we don't manage long-term rentals actively. On the short-term rental side, what we've seen a lot is people Will want to manage themselves because they can they believe they can you know reduce cost um which is fair if you think about it just from a cost perspective there's some upside that you're leaving on the table by not being as actively managing things like revenue especially with a short-term rental uh, but they're okay with one two three once you get to that three to five property um the range in the short-term rentals you're really running a small hospitality business and you need to be on the beck and call of your tenants who again are coming more often than your traditional long-term tenants. So um, it's much more hospitality 
um, than you know management. So uh, we've kind of once you get to the three to five uh, unit uh, unit count, we've seen people say, okay, this is I either have to do this full time or I'm going to pass this off. Um, that's kind of the the magic number we've seen so far. Tell me about the fee structures that exist. What's standard in the industry? Yeah, it, it really depends. So um, we've seen, you know, in vacation markets, um, some of the larger vacation managers will charge upwards of 40% uh, management fee uh, to, to manage these high-end luxury rentals. Uh, the more kind of average management fee in your, you know, vacation rental, short-term rental market is is 25% or so of rental revenue. Um, there are some groups that have some interesting models, uh, like a, like Evolve, for example. They charge 10%, uh, but they're much less hands-free. So what I mean by that, a group like Evolve, they, they help you create the listing. They help do the pricing for you. They do the distribution. They find tenants for you. And then once the tenant has booked, they hand it off to you for you too as the owner to manage the actual you know, experience that the guest has in the property. So there's a handout there that they charge 10% for that. So really it's anywhere from 10% to 40%. Um, for us, really the fee is not as much as, as important as the value that the property manager creates. You know, time, everybody always talks about time. Yeah, we'll save you time. But is the revenue, is the property manager utilizing the appropriate revenue management strategies to get you the best and highest revenue for your property are they utilizing it appropriately during the different time periods you know during slower months it's probably better to make it a, a monthly rental during the peak season it's probably smarter to utilize daily strategies to, to drive revenue so a, a good property manager will more than pay for their fee that they charge you um so that, that's really the, the key piece there is, is the revenue management